You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Y'all go ahead and turn with me to Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. I just realized I don't have any glasses. Someone want to go get the glasses off my desk? I intentionally forget them so that those of you who can't see feel good about yourselves. All right, I'll just wear some girly glasses today, all right? I'm confident enough in my manhood. All right, some of y'all may remember uh, our 40th president. Who is, who's our 40th president? Ronald Reagan. All right, now Ronald Reagan, what you may not know, he was born in 1911, right? So a long time ago, and that's back before you could just jump online and order you a new pair of shoes. You had to go down to the cobbler, not peach cobbler for you kids in here. There were shoe cobblers that actually made leather shoes, all right? So he went down, his aunt took him to the cobbler to have him a pair of shoes made. And uh, he, the, the cobbler asked Reagan, said, uh, well, what... Um, you know, he sized his, his feet and he says, what, what type toe do you want? Do you want a square toe or a round toe? Well, Reagan couldn't make up his mind. So he said, well, I'll tell you what, you come back in a few days and, and tell me what you've decided. And so we saw him a few days later out on the street and uh, Reagan still couldn't decide. And so the cobbler said, okay, I'll tell you what, you just come by my shop in a few days and your, your shoes will be ready. So Reagan shows up to the shop with his aunt a few days later and there's his shoes. You just smell the leather. Brand new pair of shoes, one round toed, one square toed. And listen to what the man said. He said, Reagan, little Ronnie, this is going to teach you to never let people make your decisions for you. Matter of fact, in reference to that story, Reagan later said, I learned right then and there, if you don't make your own decisions, someone else will. Hey, listen, choices are like they're lines in the sand, like that famous New York Yankees catcher, Yogi Berra said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it, all right? You got choices to make. And in Joshua chapter 24, you know, there's been this amazing conquest, right? Joshua's wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. They've gone on into Jericho and Ai and they've defeated. And now they're finally settling down. And he's, he's going through, prior to Joshua 24, 14, he's going through the allotments of the land. They're now in the promised land. They're allotting land to the different tribes, all right? And then he gives this big speech. He brings all the elders together, the leaders, every person. And in the beginning of this speech, the first 13 verses of of Joshua 24, he basically has a historical overview of all the good things God's done for Israel. Just a little reminder, right? And then we come to our verse today, Joshua 24, 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord... Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites and whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it's the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, <laughs> You're not able to serve the Lord. For he is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he'll turn on you and do harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, then you're witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and he set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord that he has spoken to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. And after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, that's N-U-N, not N-O-N-E, uh, the servant of the Lord died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob uh, bought from the sons of Hamor, the son of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. I want to ask Susan Kires to come and ask God's blessings on the message today. Susan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, this Father's Day. I thank you for all the fathers in this room and all the fathers represented here. I thank you that you are our Abba Father that loves us perfectly. And I just thank you for Pastor Wint bringing us your word today. I pray, Lord, that your word will not return void, which is your promise, and that you will accomplish your purpose through your word and that you will open our spiritual eyes so we can see the truth and hear it and believe it, Lord. And I also pray for Pastor Wint that you would fill him with your spirit and that you would speak through him to us. And I just commit the sermon to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm sorry, I called you Susan Kiraz. It's Kiros. I don't know why I said that. I saw Kristen back there wincing, so it, it was my cue. All right. Y'all may have heard about the, uh, the farmer who hired uh, a, a guy to work for him. And this guy was a hard worker. And he said, I've got three tasks for you today. Uh, the first one is I want you to paint this barn. And he goes, and that's going to take you every bit of three days, all right? Well, that guy got to work, and he knocked it out in eight hours. And the farmer was shocked. He was like, wow, that's incredible. And he goes, okay. And the next day he shows up. He said, I got another task for you. I need you to cut all this wood. And this is a lot of wood. 
going to take you, even though you're a hard worker, it's going to take you every bit of four days. Well, that guy knocked it out in like a day and a half. And he was like, well, that's amazing. So he has one more task for me. He says, well, if you can do that that fast, this next task is nothing. I mean, this, I mean, you'll be able to knock this out in an hour and a half. All right. All I want you to do is sort these potatoes. Okay, I want you to set aside some potatoes that you think are good for seed. And then I want you to set the potatoes that are bad for the hogs, for hog feed. And then I want you to set aside the potatoes uh, that we can sell in the market. All right, it's a pretty easy job. It should be done real quick. Well, the farmer had other work to do, so he went about his other tasks, came back by there expecting the, the worker to be gone, uh, having finished his task. But there he was, he was just pacing around. Those potatoes hadn't had done hardly anything. He said, well, what's the problem? How in the world? <laughs> Could you be such a hard worker and finish that paint in a day and the wood in a day and a half, but you can't sort these, these taters? He said, well, I can work hard, sir, but it's those doggone decisions that get me. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something, family. That's how it is in fatherhood. You know, we have choices to make. And I think a lot of Christians and a lot of Christian fathers have no problem working hard they have a hard time making decisions. And I'm not talking about, they don't have a hard time picking out a fishing pole at Academy Sports, right? They don't have a hard time picking out the sports channel on TV, they got it, right? A meal at a restaurant, got it. 12 ounce steak, porterhouse, all right? No problem. But they can't seem to nail down their allegiance in their house. They just can't make up their minds. Let's get up and go to church today. You know what? On second thought, let's just sleep in. I just can't do it. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I shouldn't do this. Indecision is a decision, right? And Joshua gives a charge to us today. And that charge is to first take charge of your house. The heading of your household should be God. And God puts the compass of leadership in the hands of the father. Now, I know there's a lot of single mothers in here and you've you got to wear both hats and I'm sorry for you that you've got to do that. But that doesn't mean these grandfathers and uncles and other men can't pick up the, the slack in, in your kids' lives. But we need to make decisions and we need two things here to take charge of our homes. And first is a definition. What does it mean to take charge? Was Joshua forcing his family's faith? Like, we will do this. I'm going to force them to do this. Joshua 24, 15 says, choose this day whom we will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So making choices and taking charge shouldn't be confused with taking command, right? Men are called just so we're clear, to take charge, to lead, to serve. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3 says, the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. I don't care what the TV says. This is what the Bible says. Ephesians 5 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and his himself, its savior. All these men around here are scared to take charge because they think we're living in a world where women will hate it. I was nervous about this when I was a youth pastor in Virginia. I wanted, we had all these uh, different um, Bible study groups in our church and, and they were being led by men and women, like couples, 
all right? But a lot of times the women would, would do the lesson because it's students, you know, and, uh, and the men wouldn't, wouldn't step up and kind of lead more. And I, I didn't see it as a major biblical issue at that age, but I was kind of concerned with it because I had been dealing with a lot of students who struggled with same-sex attraction and, uh, you know, bad families, gender issues, all this stuff. So I thought we need more male presence. We need, we need, it needs to be clear in our church. So I was nervous as a cat about speaking to my leaders about this, especially the women. They didn't want them to think I'm some kind of sexist or something. So I get up, I share about my heart, my burden. Did you know not one man said a word to me after that? And the women lined up to thank me. Man, you think that your wives don't want you to leave. That's a lie. They want you to lead as a servant, not as a, hey, woman, go get my tea. Only time I say that is when I'm joking. Right, babe? <laughs> in Genesis 126, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over all the earth. But that dominion, even though it was man and woman, was, wasn't to dictate or to dominate, Right? If male and female are distinct but equal, the dominion mentioned in Genesis 1 is number one for both man and woman because the Bible says they. And it was dominion over things that required no submission. Adam didn't wrestle a lion to the ground, pin it to the ground and say, I name you lion. And then release him. Like it's not a Discovery Channel show where they're darting bulls out on the, you know, the plains, the Serengeti, <laughs> and releasing them. God lined the animals up for him. There was nothing to subdue. He didn't have to beat anything into submission. So our versions of submission today are pretty messed up, right? They're twisted. Godly leadership, though, is given. And by the way, wives, godly submission is given. It's never taken. My wife and her submission to me actually helps me to be a leader. I want to lead because of the way she treats me. I want to be a better leader. And I, I pray that the way I serve her makes her want to be submissive to whatever final decisions we might make together. Joshua gave two options and he drew the line in the sand, right? He doesn't take... Or force. By the way, God doesn't even take or force your decisions without some part of your will being involved in it. Which leads to the second part, and that's the decision. Men, we need to take charge of our homes. But the choice isn't whether or not we take physical control to, con you know, to control the outcome. The choice is not a what. The choice is a who. All right? Not how, but who. So when Joshua was calling for Israel to make a choice... He says those famous words in Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's not saying by force and physical coercion, we will serve the Lord. He's saying two things. Choose now, he says this day. And he also says, regardless of what you choose, I ain't wandering around no 40 more years in the wilderness. I ain't waiting any longer for you guys. He's waited 40 plus years with these stubborn people. He said, we're ready to take the land. Remember the 12 spies went in? Uh, 10 of them said, no, we can't do it. They're too big. And him and Caleb were like, we got them. And, he said, and then the people rebelled and they got their way and God cursed them. And all that generation, I think 20, 22 and under, didn't get to go into the promised land. They wandered around for 40 years. That generation died off. Then Joshua takes command. Moses dies and Joshua heads them in to the Jericho. And, and you know the rest of the story. And Joshua's saying, hey, hey, I can feel 
40 years of patience been up in this one speech. Like, hey, I put up with y'all for 40 years, but my house is going to serve the Lord. You do what you want to do. You want to go back to the wilderness? Go on. But I'm staying here. This is the choice I'm making. Man, listen, you've got to choose, not based on how quickly your wife or kids get out of bed on Sunday morning. You choose. You get up. Go without them. Make decisions for your family, not by force or guilt. You know, lording it over them like suddenly you're so spiritual. You who've been an alcoholic for 15 years, you who've browbeat, you who are an absentee father, you're going to suddenly get spiritual. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about beginning to make choices. If you've not had control of your family, it's, it's never too long time to choose. Stop being wimpy, indecisive men. Make a decision. Joshua even says in Joshua 24, 15, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, it's still a choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. You want to serve the God your father served in the region beyond the river and the gods of the Amorites and whose land you dwell? All right. It's your choice. But as for me and my house, we ain't going with you. We're going to serve the Lord. Listen, you fathers and you leaders, you've got to know how to make decisions even if you get canceled by the culture. And that doesn't mean that sometimes our attitudes get canceled, right? The attitude in which we bring a decision is what's getting canceled. I don't like your attitude, so I'm not going to do it, right? That's what you're rebelling against. I'm not talking about making choices and having your attitude get rejected, canceled. I'm talking about your decisions being canceled. It's our attitudes we've got to watch. Are you students ready to be canceled by your culture when everybody else stands against you? You're at a party, something's going down and you don't feel right and you leave and you get mocked about it, you get made fun of. Maybe you don't get to date that, that good looking guy, that good looking girl because you've got moral code. You've got fiber, spiritual fiber in you that says, no, this isn't right. Are you parents ready to make choices, even if your kids think you're a monster for taking a biblical stand? But so-and-so's parents, but so-and-so's parents. You know, when I was a kid, I started dipping tobacco, right? How many of you would, no, I'm just kidding. The dads were like, oh gosh. Hope my can in my back pocket's not showing. Well, I dipped. I, I played baseball. I hunted. I fished, and so I dipped. I had a matter of fact. My uncle, Junior, uh, my uncle Junior wore overalls all the time. Drove a Scottsdale. Ooh, I wanted a Scottsdale pickup truck. Man, those were so bad to the bone. And he, but he planted tobacco, and he and he chewed Red Man. And I thought that's about the manliest thing that could happen. If I was ever going to have hope for growing hair on my legs, it was going to be Red Man that did it. All right. And so I started dipping. And matter of fact, I went to a Christian school called Briarcrest. And I, I'm just, whoever's listening to this recorded service today, I want to apologize to all my teachers, especially in high school, because I dipped in your class, all right, every day. And, uh, and so, you know, but, but the Lord began to grow me and convict me about those things. I was a believer, but God began to, to grow me in different areas of my life, not saying tobacco is the only measure of spiritual maturity in your life. But uh, I was, my, I began to grow in Christ. I was 18 years old. I could buy my own tobacco without that guy down the street that sold it to me anyway. All right. 
so this I could do it legally now. So I was changing the, my dad's, uh, my dad has went to work every day in a, in a tie, but he was a shade tree mechanic too. So I was changing the brakes on my pickup truck with my dad one Saturday. And I look up and I've got the tire off and I'm down here at the brakes. I look over there and my dad is dumping out my dip can. Skull wintergreen long cut, in case you're wondering. All right? And I looked at him and I said, what, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm dumping out your dip can. I said, but I'm 18. Yeah? <laughs> Come on. He said, well, he didn't get mad. He just very gently said, I know, but you're under my roof. And I have rules when you're under my roof. When you're on your own, you can do what you want. But when you're under my roof, you're not going to do this. And I said, well, Dad, I'm just going to go buy another can. He just said, yeah, but you won't dip this one. <laughs> hey, listen, little did he know that my respect for him, and by the way, he wasn't saying it with a heart of pride, like you in my house, mm, get out if you want. He didn't do that. Listen, he didn't provoke me to anger. He, he was actually saying it with a burden of responsibility. Like, I have a responsibility to honor God and my convictions in this home. And I'm going to tell you something. He could have overlooked my addiction and his conviction to have a good old Saturday afternoon with his son who had finally come back to Jesus. But he didn't do it. He was resolved. You know, Dwight, uh, uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower was said to have laid a rope on the table and said and told all his men around the table, you can't push that string, but you can pull it and it'll go anywhere you want to go. Joshua didn't push the rope. He got out in front and he pulled it. Remember Caleb, his cohort even said, give me the, when they were allotting the land, he said, I want the high stuff. I want the hard ground. Give me the high, the high country. Spiritual leadership has a definition and a decision that begins with taking charge of our home. Men, stop letting media, bad friends, and complacent parenting take over your house. If Satan has your family, take it back. Get on your face before God and cry out to him and say, give me back my home. Take charge of your house. Secondly, help your family take charge of their souls. And to do this, you need two things. You need to call for a response. Joshua in, in the Old Testament modeled Christ's example in the New Testament centuries later, right? He, he put his people in a place where they knew their options and the urgency of their choice. That's what we're talking about. Don't interpret this as physical pressure on someone to, or guilting someone into a choice. Joshua was, only Joshua was only clarifying to the people that the choice is unavoidable. Jesus did the same thing in John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. Jesus said, and so did Joshua, a choice is unavoidable. To not believe is condemnation, but you don't have to stay there. Next, Joshua tested their commitment. All good parents test their kids, whether it's to get better grades, better friends. Uh, they challenge them, find a better spouse, better job, better boyfriend, girlfriend, try harder in sports. We challenge our kids all the time. Why not challenge their faith? It makes no sense to me. Well, I want to make my kids go to church. Why? You make them wear clothes. 
You make them go to school. <laughs> Joshua 24, 16 says, Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Verse 18, Therefore we'll serve the Lord, for He is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You're not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. So why would He say serve the Lord, but you can't serve the Lord? What are you, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, he won't forgive your transgressions if you forsake the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, you're witnesses against yourselves this day, right? Joshua isn't browbeating his people. He's helping build confidence and resolve into the fibers of their faith. He says, okay, okay, you want to do this? You want to follow God? Well, count the cost. He said, then show me something. Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Incline your heart to the Lord. Proof's in the pudding. A baker knows that the people like their dish when it's empty. And Joshua knows the commitment's good when gods are gone and the heart inclines to the Lord. Show me it. I'm afraid we, we have too many people today that have hearts that are declined to the Lord. Or, or maybe better, reclined right? Piper said in a devotion I read recently, Jesus Christ is refreshing, so seek the things that are above. Don't replace Christ this summer with trifles. Flight from Christ into Christless leisure makes the soul parched. At first it may feel like freedom and fun to skimp on prayer and neglect the word, but then we pay. Shallowness, powerlessness, vulnerability to sin, preoccupation with trifles, superficial relationships, and a frightening loss of interest in worship and the things of the Spirit. Don't let the coming of summer make your soul shrivel. God made summer as a foretaste of heaven, not a substitute. If the mailman brings you a love letter from your fiance, don't fall in love with the mailman. Don't fall in love with the video preview of the movie and find yourself unable to love the coming reality. Jesus Christ is the refreshing center of summer. He is preeminent in all things, Colossians 1.18, including vacations and picnics and softball and long walks and cookouts. He invites us this summer to come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Matthew 11.28. Church, Joshua's sober speech isn't a rebuke. It's a call to action, a fight against complacency. Joshua had him write it down as scripture and he set up a stone as a reminder. Let me just ask you parents, what are the reminders in your home? Maybe it's you with your Bible out in the morning doing a devotion. Maybe it's a prayer at the dinner table. Maybe it's scripture on the walls of your home. We need reminders. We need a stone, right? Good parents call for a response and they test the genuineness of that response. Listen, your children are going to be tested in unsafe places. That's going to happen. Why not test them yourselves? Give them a little training ground. Take charge of your house. Help others take charge of their souls. And lastly, leave a legacy of faith. What does this mean? Joshua 24 29 says, after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old, and they buried him in his own inheritance. Israel, verse 31, served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known the, all the work that the Lord did for him. So there's two legacies mentioned in this last part of the passage. And one is Joshua's faith, and the other is Joseph's. Joshua, and this is pretty awesome, this is the last time that you're going to hear his full name, Joshua, the son of Nun. And it's the first time you're going to, be, you're going to hear him referred to as the servant of the Lord. 
I mean, wouldn't that be good that right before you die, the last thing someone says about you, the last name they call you is the servant of the Lord. It's really hard to know if a man is a servant of the Lord until he dies, right? What was he like? A guy can start out strong and, and fizzle off like, a, like a, a dud firecracker, right? You can have good years, bad years, but a man full of faith that finishes, that crosses the finish line well, that's a legacy. Listen to this. Joshua died old, 110 years old. He was buried on his own land. Remember, they spent all that years in slavery and wandering, and now he had his own land. And Israel served the Lord while he lived. Matter of fact, the elders went on to serve after him. That's his inheritance. With all the men of God who are failing, isn't it refreshing to see some men go on to heaven serving the Lord when they die? With faith that's actually as strong as or stronger than when they began. And then second, we have this random story, Joseph. Why are we talking about Joseph in a story about Joshua? Joseph was around 200 years, like centuries earlier. Why, do we, why does he pop up here? It just seems random. Genesis 50 verse 22 says, so Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph also lived 110 years. Same lifespan as Joshua. Interesting little parallel. So Joshua never got to see the promised land. Joseph never got to see the promised land. So he says in Genesis 50 verse 25 when he's dying, then Joseph made his, the sons of Israel swear saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Meaning I may not get to enter the promised land right now, but I want you to come back when you get in there, get my bones and take them and plant them there. And that's exactly what happened. Here we are centuries later, Joshua 24, 32. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. What is an inheritance? You mean a bone? Like a, a dead man's bones, an inheritance? Woo, look here, let's get the bones out of great grandpa. Let's play with him, you know, do a little drum roll. Is that the inheritance? The drum, like archeology? span Woo, yeah. Okay, I've been thinking of scary bedtime stories now. Right? No. The inheritance was the fulfillment of the promise that Joseph didn't even get to see. Joseph knew and finished believing that his body was going to be taken there. And he told his sons, hey, listen, uh, we, ain't gotten, we ain't got there yet, but we're going to get there. And when we get there, you come back and you get these bones and you take them there. He was saying, I believe that much down to every fiber of my literal bones that we're going to have the promised land. And then Joshua, Joshua finishes strong. He gets to actually see the promised land. But guess what he didn't get to see? The fulfillment of the promises in Jesus. Folks, we got more than Joseph had. We got more than Joshua had. We've got Joseph, Joshua, and Jesus dead in the tomb, raised to life. All these promises, those are our legacies Listen, the sovereignty of God doesn't remove decision. It demands it. I saw a shirt last week that said, normal isn't coming back. Jesus is. All right? Listen, that's what we need to look forward to. As for me and my house, you finish the sentence. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? Father God, we love you. We praise you. We can be men that instead of harping about the generations coming after us and how 
wimpy and unprepared they are. We need to be men that give examples of how those young men should be. Same with the mothers. We need to be godly examples. So I pray, God, today that you would help us take back our families. Lord, I know that there are single mothers in here struggling and they've got men that may never lead them. And I pray you'd bear with them, Lord. You, you say you're a father to the fatherless. And so I, I believe you can do that. I know in my own father, who I'm named, I'm named after a man who adopted my dad, who couldn't have any kids of his own. And I know you have the ability to step in and fill in where there's loss. But I pray for the fathers that are still active in their kids' lives today that we would step up and make the choices and begin to serve and gently take back with the help of Jesus Christ, our families. I also pray for anybody here today that may not know you, God. It's not complicated. This world and all, everything tries to make you look so complex. All the different religions and denominations, oh, it's just so hard to know. It's not hard to know. You're a real God. You sent your son Jesus Christ to die for us. And if we believe in him and call on him and turn from our sins, you will save us. So just call out to God. And I pray for others that may be here today that don't have a church home and you want to make this a place to serve. I believe that the spiritual gifts of every believer are manifested through the local church. But you got to be part. And our membership at our church is a way to sign up and say, hey, we want to be part. We want to serve. And if that's the call God's put on your life today, then make that decision. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.